Support for Terrestrial comes from Westland Distillery. Seattle-based Westland uses locally grown barley to create new varietals of malt never before used in whiskey. The result is an American single malt whiskey that reflects the unique qualities of the Pacific Northwest. To learn more, visit westlanddistillery.com. This past June, a heat wave swept through the Southwest. Nothing new, right? This time, it was so hot that airplanes couldn't take off. In Phoenix, temperatures hit 119 degrees Fahrenheit and dozens of flights were canceled. Hotter weather makes for thinner air, so airlines had to drop weight by paying their customers to give up their seats or delay flights until it cooled off later in the day. It was one of those moments where it feels like nature might be trying to tell us something. But this is about more than just planes not being able to take off because of hotter weather, right? It's also about the fact that planes emit a lot of carbon, which drives climate change and makes for more heat waves. And for many of us, flying is the single largest contributor to our annual carbon emissions. But would you give up flying because of climate change? What would that be like? Today, we're going to meet a woman who hasn't been on a plane in 10 years, and we'll find out how it's changed her life. At the end of the show, we'll also ask you to share your thoughts about flying. I'm Ashley Ahern, and you're listening to Terrestrial, a show that explores the choices we make in a world we've changed. Janice Ray is a writer and an activist. I grew up in southern Georgia. My dad and mom ran a junkyard. We lived about a mile outside the city limits of a town called Baxley, Georgia. Janice went away to school, moved to New England. She published books. And for years, she led a jet-setting author life, traveling all over the country, giving talks and doing book signings. And then there was this moment. I had been invited to to a college to speak, and it's a college known for its environmentalism. I mean, people go there to study sustainability. And a woman next to me had flown from Chicago for the day to hear, you know, to hear this talk, to attend this meeting. I think she was a board member of the group that had brought me. And that just seemed so wrong it was appalling to me and and then I looked at you know if I look at my own life I realized well shoot I just drove 10 hours to get here so what's the diff but I I I guess it was that moment that I I just thought I I have to walk the talk Uh, I, I can't just do the talking I mean, to be totally honest, when Janice was telling me this story, I felt guilty. I fly a lot for this job, and in my personal life, too. I live in Seattle, and my family is all on the East Coast in Massachusetts. So airplanes are a bigger part of my life than I'd like them to be. I think that's true for a lot of people these days. But Janice says she actually felt trapped when she was flying. She said she was making more money giving talks and leading workshops than she was from selling her books. And that meant more and more time on the road or in the air, really. We, you know, we wind up 
exhausted and feeling fragmented and feeling isolated and feeling marginalized. And so I think, I mean, I did take the high road with transportation in thinking I cannot in good conscience as an environmentalist continue to fly to blast the this carbon into the air. And when you look at the numbers, Janice is right. To maintain a safe climate for humans and life on Earth, the scientific community generally agrees that we need to keep the average global temperature from rising more than one degree Celsius above what it is right now. And to do that, each one of us will need to emit about two tons of CO2 per year. But here's the challenge. Right now, the average American emits more than 16 metric tons a year. So no matter how you do the math, we're way over budget. I know I am anyway. And flying is a big part of why. For example, if I fly from Seattle to Boston and back, I've just about maxed out my annual budget of two tons of carbon emissions. Now, for most of us, the dollar cost of a plane trip is more of a deciding factor in whether or not we fly than the carbon cost of that trip. And airplane travel is a luxury that isn't part of regular life for many people. People like Janice's parents in Georgia, for example. If everybody lived the way my parents lived, we'd have far fewer problems environmentally. My parents are, uh, they, how would I say this? They always are making do, doing without, doing with less. They're incredibly frugal. I've thought about this a lot because where I come from, you wouldn't think that a junkyard would produce an environmentalist and or the people with with which I was raised would produce an environmentalist. Janice was raised fundamentalist Christian. Wasn't allowed to date in high school, no TV. Her parents have never traveled far from home. She says she's pretty sure they've never been on a commercial airplane. Being poor made me think about where things came from and what I needed to do to obtain them. And, and not being able to obtain some things made me look more at what I had. Janice grew up playing school in the junkyard. She'd be the teacher, her brothers the students, scribbling lessons in chalk on the sides of all these rusted out old cars. There was a moment I remember sitting in a tree. I was deep in the junkyard and I had climbed up this red maple tree. And pine needles, pine trees are all around there and they had fallen and they were the pine needles, when they're not swept up, will just fall. They're a little bit like Spanish moss, where they just hang on everything, and they cover everything, and they're this really softening, uh, um, softening part of the landscape. So I was sitting there looking around, and I, I remember in that moment realizing how much nature meant to me. Her dad didn't graduate high school, but he wanted his kids to have a formal education. So Janice went away to college in Florida. That's where she started reading Wendell Berry and Aldo Leopold and other environmental writers. I heard my dad say later that he would never encourage another of his children to go away to college because we came back different. You know, we came back vegetarians and peace activists and artists and these crazy things that he didn't have names for. But after years living away from Georgia, she did come back. Nine years ago, she and her husband left Vermont where they'd been living and bought a farm near her parents. 
It's not the easiest, I mean, living in the rural fundamentalist South is not the easiest when, when you're surrounded by people who don't think like you, uh, including members of your own family. It's something actually, Ashley, I don't like to talk about because I'm always, I think that if we're, if, if we will really want change and progress, we're going to have to find ways that we are like other people and common ground that we have with them. To really understand Janice's decision not to fly anymore, it helps to understand her connection to this part of the world. So, so yesterday I visited my mother's farm on which she was raised my grandparents lived there. It had been my great-grandparents' farm. So this is a place where the ghosts of many people walk, people who gave their lives so that I could be here. Janice's ancestors were some of the first white settlers in this part of Georgia, after the land was taken from the Creek Indians. And her family has farmed it for generations. I kept asking her why she left, but she said a better question would be why she came back. Modern life requires of us to be so fragmented we leave the places we love we leave most of us leave the family we love we give up a lot of things that i think are essential to leading good lives essential to our humanity and and one of those things is long histories and places so i'm very place-based and i didn't want to give up on my place when was the last time you you were on an airplane I looked that up this morning uh, in preparation for our conversation today, and it was around Earth Day of April 2008. So this coming up April will be 10 years that I haven't been on an airplane. 10 years without a single flight. And Janice has had to plan her life around this decision. She rides the train a lot now. Her farm is about 30 miles away from the main line that runs up and down the East Coast, so she can catch a train in Jessup, Georgia, and be in New York by 11 a.m. the next morning. But it hasn't been easy getting by without airplanes. We'll get into what this choice has cost Janice after the break. Support for Terrestrial comes from Westland Distillery. Westland is leading the emerging new category of American single malt whiskey. Distilled, matured, and bottled in the heart of the Pacific Northwest, a region known for its innovative spirit, their whiskeys bring a new and distinctly American voice to the world of single malt. To learn more, visit westlanddistillery.com. Support for Terrestrial also comes from ReachNow Mobility Services by BMW. ReachNow members have access to hundreds of BMW and Mini vehicles for flexible one-way trips around Seattle. Listen to your favorite public radio station in comfort and style as you drive to your favorite destination. Don't feel like driving? No problem. ReachNow will pick you up and drop you off. It's the best way to get to the people and places you love. Learn more at ReachNow.com. Hey, terrestrial listeners, I want to tell you about a show I have really been digging lately. It's called Undiscovered, and I have Ella Fetter, one of the hosts here with me right now. Tell me, Ella, what is one of the favorite episodes you put together for your show? Yeah, so we so we had an episode called Born This Gay. And, and for me, uh, as a gay person, I was really interested in this question of, you know, is it really helping us to keep saying that we were born gay? Is that something that advances 
gay rights. Yeah, I love that you apply science in the way you answer that question. That's right. So we go back. I was wondering where this where this idea came from. And we go back to pre-Nazi Germany, of all places, to a gay Jewish sex researcher who was super interested in this question and did some pretty weird, sometimes unethical, uh, sometimes laudable experiments to try to, to prove that gay people were biologically distinct. And I mean, what could possibly go wrong with exploring that question using science? You can check out the podcast. It's called Undiscovered, wherever you get your shows. There's something deeply exciting about boarding a train. Somehow it reminds me of riding horseback. The hugeness, the eagerness of the mount, the surge forward. This is an excerpt of an essay Janice wrote about train travel. On the train are people with accents, a man shaving in his seat with an electric razor, a man with two pairs of glasses on top of his head, one for the computer and the other for books. A pregnant woman whose husband is in the Navy interrupts my last chapter of Lolita to ask what I am reading and what it's about, and I lie. We speed through the heartland. Out the window, two deer standing in bronze stubble begin to run. A balding businessman and a university student dressed in black occupy the seats in front of me. The student offers the businessman his flask and the businessman accepts. Occasionally, I catch a phrase of their talk. I earned more money than I could spend, the businessman says. I didn't have time to spend it. The student asks the businessman if he would like to hear a poem. I wrote it in Italy, he says. I would, said the businessman. The student reads, and they pass the flask. The businessman likes the poem. Are you drunk yet, he asks. I've been drunk since before I was born. America, dark, passes by the window. It's easy to romanticize train travel, but Janice says it's more nuanced than that. In her essay, she describes crowded, noisy trains, passengers talking loudly on their phones, kids crying, seatmates with heavy perfume. And on top of that, giving up airplane travel has limited her professional opportunities. So I thought that it would cost me money. And, you know, that was, that was primary in my worry initially. I, and, and it has, I will say that, it has. She's had to turn down talks in Maine and Arizona. She doesn't do as many workshops or guest lectures. And gone are the days of national book tours, unless it's by train, of course. And so I knew that I would never be able to accept invitations to certain parts of the country. And so I would be turning down um, money. However, because my job really should be sitting at my writing desk in my study, um, it's, it's really a, a win-win situation for me because it meant that I was forcing myself to write more. 
She says that cutting airplanes out of her life has centered her in a way that has forced her to be more focused and to live more simply. Um, I wake up in the day in the morning. I have enough money to pay our basic bills. And I choose every day how I want to spend my time. I do not owe anybody um, anything. She and her husband are working on being self-sufficient with their farm. They have cows and sheep and chickens that lay plenty of eggs. I can make an angel food cake almost daily and not use up all our eggs. We milk a cow right now. I, you know, I make butter. I make our own yogurt. Um, In the garden is always something to eat. Right now you could go out and eat. You could, there's cabbage, there's winter squash ripe, there's Malabar spinach, and on and on and on. So maybe I gave up some recognition. Maybe I gave up some national spotlight. But the other part of me just doesn't really care. Technically, she says if you look at the numbers and their income, her family is living right around the federal poverty line. I've never much minded poverty, Ashley. Um, I was raised in poverty. We still, my, my, you, you would have to describe my family now as, as living in poverty. But if you saw my life, style. If you saw my home, if you saw our farm, we probably have the highest quality of life of, I mean, really probably anybody you know. Janice, I know a lot of people in my in my life who um, pride themselves on how many miles they have and how often they, they fly for work. And, and there's a sense of self-importance around that. What do you say to people that, that see flying as a necessity? It's it's a, it is a mark of success, you know, how far you've gone, how many frequent flyer miles you have. I'm still not going to blame people for that. I think that's a, another uh, byproduct of, you know, of corporate transportation that we need you to fly. You're, it's... I don't even know how to say this, Ashley, but I I just think that there will come a time when that is not a marker for success or even admiration. You know? If you stopped flying today, how would your life change? How would your relationships change? We'd like to hear your stories. In fact, this episode was inspired by one of our listeners. Kathy Leonard is a member of the Terrestrial Facebook group, and she shared Janice's essay with us there. Thank you so much, Kathy. If you haven't checked out the Facebook group, it is a great way to connect with your fellow listeners and share your thoughts about the stories we're exploring on this show. We also want to thank Kim Nicholas for her help with this episode. Kim's a climate scientist at the University of Lund in Sweden. We calculated carbon emissions in this story using the Cool Climate Calculator from UC Berkeley, It's a great online tool if you're curious about crunching your own emissions. Terrestrial is edited by Annie Aviles. Our producer and sound designer is Jonathan Hirsch. Lila Cherneff is our fact checker. Kristen Lepore leads our audience development. And Augusta Chapman is our associate producer. Our managing producer is Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by the band Tremor. Terrestrial was developed with support from the NPR Story Lab and were produced out of KUOW in Seattle. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks so much for listening.